hosts of Common Sense Investing have been helping their clients and listeners make sense of the markets for nearly three decades. Using a conservative, diversified, value-oriented approach to investing, they strive to make you a better educated, well-informed investor. And now here's your host, Eric Whiteman. We could be at the proverbial crossroads. The S&P is bumping up against the 2800 mark. Now, why does this matter? Glad you asked. This is the level that the market has tried to get through twice before. Once back in October and again in November, and it failed both times. If the market does manage to get through here, I think that resistance, that 2800 level, quickly turns into being a support level. We've rallied back to the highs that we experienced back in December, but we still have a ways to go to get back to the all-time, all-time highs, which is just over 2,900 on the S&P. The last few shows, I've talked about three things which could take the market higher, three catalysts as they were. First, you have a patient Fed. I think the Fed made a mistake in raising rates back in December, and I think that they realized that too. Since that time, they've walked things back a bit and have basically said they're going to be more patient going forward. Chairman Powell is scheduled to testify before Congress this week, so more than a few people are going to be sitting in front of the TV watching to see if there's any indication of a change, and I can't really imagine that there is. The second catalyst is earnings. Earnings are always going to be in the mix every time. There's no doubt that the earnings growth rate has come off the boil. Let's face it, folks. We're not going to grow at 20% plus forever. So, so far, the fourth quarter has been okay. Last I checked, earnings growth for the quarter was just somewhere north of 13%, which isn't bad because when we started out a couple of months ago, it was expected to be about 10.5%. I do think that we see earnings slow down even more in the coming quarter or two because, well, we're coming off that sugar high, the sugar high of last year's tax cuts, the sugar high of fiscal easing. But as long as we see positive growth for the year, I think we'll be fine. Right now, analysts see earnings growing at around 4% for the full year. I'm slightly higher than that, but analyst consensus is for 4% growth for the full year. The third catalyst is seeing some resolution in the U.S.-China trade talks. I believe the market is pricing a lot of this in already. When I sit back and I add these three things up, what I come up with is we can see some modest gains, but with the rally since the beginning of the year, I think the easy gains are gone. Maybe we continue to go higher and finish the year out around, I don't know, 3,000 on the S&P 500. And if you think about it, that's really only about 7% higher than we are now. As prices on stocks become richer and you still have some unknowns out there lurking in the shadows, you can expect volatility to persist. Personally, I like volatility because it allows me to prune the trees and plant the seeds. As the market goes up, I can trim back on the stocks that look expensive. And when the market goes down, well, I can buy stocks that look inexpensive or plant the seeds. 
and well, I'm talking about pruning and planning. I have to be honest and say I'm a little bit disappointed with Berkshire Hathaway, Warren Buffett's company, and the size of their share repurchases last quarter. I mentioned on the show last week that Berkshire was going to release earnings in its annual sharehold letter this past weekend. And there were a couple of good things in it, but nothing really earth shattering. And I'll save my comments on the letter for a show in a couple that I'll do in a couple of weeks. But I was disappointed in the fact that they only bought back $418 million worth of shares in the fourth quarter. Now, don't get me wrong. $418 million is nothing to sneeze at. But to the guy that has $120 billion in cash sitting around, it's nothing. When you think about where the prices of the stock went last quarter, close to one hundred and ninety. dollars you have to wonder why they didn't buy a ton more of their own stock. It's below the level that they said they would be purchasers at. So I don't know. I just find it really confusing. They bought back $928 million in the third quarter and $418 million in the fourth quarter. And they didn't get that much better of a price in the third quarter than they could have gotten last quarter. I don't know. In his letter, he made the point that book value has less meaning when you're evaluating the stock. Now, this isn't anything new. He's been saying it for quite a while now. What is the most important thing is the intrinsic value. In a couple of weeks, I'll tell you how to calculate this and I'll go through the letter. But in his letter, he also said that Berkshire symbol BRK, we buy the B shares, symbol BRKB, Berkshire would be a significant repurchaser of its shares. But so far, it's only been an extremely modest amount, less than one half of 1% of the shares outstanding. Let's move on before I turn this show into a show about Berkshire. That's not what I want to do today. Let's talk about AT&T. Simple T. This is what I talked about in the past. Let's revisit this one. Every once in a while, I do a segment on the show that I call special situations. And this is exactly what it sounds like. More risk, more potential reward, or potential loss. It's the gambling money. The last time we did one of these segments, it was suggesting that you buy Time Warner, symbol TWX, because it was being acquired by AT&T. Now, TWX at the time was selling at a Uh, what I would call a large discount to the ultimate deal value, because among other things, the government seemed opposed to it all. The government, more specifically the Justice Department, took it to court to block the merger and then lost. Then they appealed it and they just lost again this week. What that means is that AT&T can go ahead and proceed with its plan to transform Warner Media into a streaming business. They say they would unveil their, that they would unveil several online products by early next year with HBO anchoring a service that would feature films and shows from Warner Brothers uh, Library. Just think, you could watch Harry Potter, Friends, Game of Thrones, and The Wire all in one place. This is a distinct positive for AT&T because, frankly, they do have to do something to grow. What makes them attractive and the real reason you buy them isn't for the growth, it's for the dividend. 
right? Right now it's north, uh, just north of six and a half percent. So think about it. You get a company that grows maybe two or three percent a year, maybe, but pays out a six and a half percent dividend on top of it. I think that's a pretty solid return, all things considering. Again, you have to determine if it's right for your portfolio. Maybe you're not looking for income, but they do have a solid balance sheet. The earnings are pretty darn predictable. If you're looking for that income type investment, maybe you look here. I'm a buyer as long as it's yielding six and a half percent or more. How about we spend a minute on General Electric? This is one that, you know, was one of the most widely owned stocks in America. Most of you know the trouble that GE's been going through the last couple of, year, couple of years. But Monday was a bright spot. General Electric announced that they were going to sell its biopharma business to Danaher. To Danaher, symbol DHR, which incidentally was the former employer of the relatively new GE CEO. Maybe he called some of his old friends over at Danaher and said, hey, let's make a deal. Probably what happened. Now, after they announced the deal, you saw one of the biggest gains in General Electric in probably the last 10 years. Danaher gets its biopharma business and GE, well, they get $21 billion. Hopefully, They'll use that money to pay down some of the huge debt load they have. So is it time to start looking at General Electric? Eh, it's probably a gamble for the, I don't care if I lose it money, but I'd much rather be looking at some of the other industrials here. And one that I own and one that we talk about here on the show is Caterpillar, symbol C-A-T. It's trading around $140 right now. And earlier this week, Cat received or was the recipient of a double downgrade. That's right. That's not the same as a double secret probation, but the double downgrade. An analyst went from a buy to an outright sell on the stock, saying that they felt Cat's end markets were going to peak sometime later this year. Maybe, maybe not. But I bring it up just to show you some disparity when it comes to the analyst disparity of opinion and why you need to do your own work or at least consult with your advisor before you buy something Two analysts on cat one goes from a buy directly to a sell another analyst has it among their favorite ideas one analyst has a price target of 125 which basically means the stock needs to fall another 10% to get there. And then the other analyst has a price target of $161, meaning the stock needs to go up more than 15% to get there. The difference between the gap of 125 and 160, well, that's nearly 30% on the upside. So who's right and who's wrong? Well, I don't know. Time will tell us. My real point here is that you just don't buy something because you heard it on the news or you read an article or what have you. If you're managing your own money, you need to do your work and apply some common sense. Don't just read the headline of an analyst's report and decide to go with it. No, read it, research it, find contrary opinions. By the way, 
I'm a buyer of cat under 130. We need to step away, take a short break. When we come back, we'll talk about chips and dips, meaning the semiconductors. This is Eric Whiteman for Common Sense Investing. We are back in a moment. You've worked hard. You've saved and invested. Now you want to make sure all your hard work pays off. Now's the time to start planning for that future. Hi, this is Eric Whiteman of the XML Financial Group. No two people have the same goals and values. We can help you craft a framework for making a lifetime of smart financial decisions that's right for you. Now's the time to get the advice you deserve. Call us at 301 770-5234. Well, thank you and welcome back to today's edition of Common Sense Investing. I'm your host, Eric Whiteman. Don't forget to check us out at xmlfg.com. Once again, it's xmlfg.com. That's where you can learn more about us and what we do for our day jobs. You can also email us at podcast, which is plural, podcast at xmlfg.com. You know, folks have asked me my thoughts about Intel, symbol INTC. And I talked about the semiconductors on the last show of last year, right before we took the holiday break. And I talked about them because everyone hated them. I mean, hated them. And they got into the point where I thought that they were very oversold. So what did we do? We bought Intel. Since then, they've come back, just like about everything. The question is, is it too late? And I'll start with the conclusion. I don't think it is. At that time, back in mid-December, I said that it wouldn't surprise me to see the semiconductor chip sales continue to, to decline over the next three to six months. Heck, they had been decelerating for the last year and a half. And I thought the odds were good that things are turning around. Everywhere I look, people are spending on electronics. And those electronics, well, they need chips. If you're not aware, semiconductors are notoriously economically sensitive. They're basically a commodity, a global commodity. When the world is doing well, the chip makers are generally going to do well. Lately, the world economies haven't been doing so great. And as such, well, the chip makers haven't been doing so great either. But going forward, I think the world is going to be okay. And I say that because of a number of factors. First of all, we have the Fed, as I talked about earlier. The Fed is indicating that they're going to be patient in raising interest rates going forward. If that is indeed true, then you should see the dollar level out and even decline a bit. We're talking about the U.S. dollar. And a declining U.S. dollar 
is a boon for global growth. Second, if this does happen and the dollar does decline, it provides a tremendous, a tremendous amount of leverage for U.S.-based chip makers. And that's because the chip makers as a group get about 80% of their revenues from overseas, 80%. That's about twice as much as the S&P 500 on average. Third, China. As I was saying, about 80% of U.S. chip makers' revenues come from overseas. Looking in, looking at it even a little deeper, we'll find out that 36% of U.S. chip maker revenues come from China. Thus, any trade dispute resolution would provide more relief for the chips. I'm seeing that inventories are starting to contract, which should mean you should see some uh, prices stabilize. And I don't see all this being priced into the stocks. Analysts are still fairly pessimistic. Earnings and revenue estimates have been falling for the last year. And as a matter of fact, I think it's about as bad as it gets. I think you can still find value here. Intel. As I said, symbol INTC is still my favorite. At the current price of about $53, it's trading at about 12 times earnings and 11 times next year's earnings guess. That's about average for the last 10 years, but that also includes a couple of years when we were coming out of the great financial crisis. And I think there's a good chance that the earnings estimates rise. I suspect that Intel is about a 7% grower, and it pays a decent 2.3% dividend that they've actually consistently been increasing. But that's what I'd be looking at, a 9 to 10% total return story with some possibility of a multiple expansion. That's what people are willing to pay for a dollar of their earnings. Now, remember, these are cyclical-type stocks. They're not core holdings. You don't just buy them and tuck them away and forget about them. No. So I think it's important that if you do buy these, you have a good idea of what you want to get out of them and basically when you're going to sell them. And I'll leave that part to you and your research. Besides Intel, there are a couple of more that you could look at. Texas Instrument, for one, symbol TXN, trades around $108, pays between two and three quarters, 3% dividend. Now, this is a quality company. Believe me, this is a quality company that's very, very shareholder friendly. And they're unique because they target free cash flow, which I call owner's earnings. They target free cash flow to be between 25 and 35% of their revenue. And they try to return 100% of that free cash flow back to their shareholders. About half of the free cash flow goes to paying the dividend. Interestingly enough, Texas Instruments, TXN, gets about 87% of its revenue from over uh, from overseas and almost 45% of it re- of its revenue comes from China. The two chip makers that have the highest China exposure are Qualcomm, no surprise there, at 67%, and Micron, symbol MU, which is about 57%. And the two least levered to China? NVIDIA at 20% and analog devices at 20%. Intel, just so you know, their revenue, 80% overseas, 27% from China. 
Texas Instruments, well, you know, their business is different than Intel in that they're focusing on a different seg- segment of the market, these analog chips, mainly for cars and things of such. It also trades at a higher multiple because it has a higher growth rate. Again, my favorite here is Intel. I'd love to be a buyer if it was under $50. So those are my favorites. You can look at TXN. Well, darn it. You know what? I look up and I see that we've run out of time here for today. So we'll leave it there. This is Eric Whiteman for Common Sense Investing. We'll be back next Wednesday. And until then, remember, it's just as important to protect your assets as it is to grow. Okay, you've listened to the show. Now it's time for the really good stuff. So listen up. It's the disclosures. The things I talked about during the show, well, they're just my opinion and may or may not necessarily be those of the XML Financial Group. Don't construe this as personalized advice or a solicitation to buy or sell a security. No, no. You should consult your own financial advisor to see if it's appropriate for you. It's also not a substitute for tax or legal advice. I'd suggest you get someone who's qualified in these areas so you can get the advice you deserve. When you're talking about asset allocation, diversification, rebalancing, they don't guarantee better results and they don't eliminate the risk of losses. In investing, there are no guarantees. Just because you use these strategies doesn't mean you'll outperform someone or something who doesn't. XML Financial LLC is an independent registered investment advisor.